My name is Mary Conquest. I'm your host for Safety Labs by Slice, the podcast where we explore the human side of safety to support safety professionals. We move past regulations and reportables to talk about the core skills of safety leadership, empathy, influence, trust, rapport, in other words, the soft skills that help you do the hard stuff. Hi there, welcome to Safety Labs by Slice. Hiring in the safety profession is a crucial process to get right for any leader looking to build an effective safety team. And for new safety professionals, it's good to know what skills are important to develop, especially if they're skills that aren't taught in school. Today's guest has been hiring and building safety teams for decades. I'll talk to him about his views on what skills make someone a good candidate for the safety profession, the dynamics of an effective team, and how he approaches the hiring process. Michael Flynn is a registered safety professional who has been the Corporate Safety Director of Barnard Construction for nearly 10 years. He's held roles in construction safety since 1995 and has been an active advocate for roadway safety. As part of that work, Mr. Flynn is the past president of Friends and Family of Roadway Workers in Arizona, a group dedicated to public education about how motorists can help protect the lives of road construction workers. Michael is a former Marine and current active member of the Marine Corps League. He joins us today from Bozeman, Montana. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to this uh, discussion. I actually have a ton of questions, so <laughs> let's dive right in. First of all, I'd like you to give me a bit of background specifically on your relationship to hiring over the years. So like how long have you been hiring and what kind of variety of safety team sizes do you hire for and that sort of thing? Sure. Really, I've been hiring pretty much my whole career. Even, you know, when I started as a safety manager and then became kind of a regional person, I'm still was looking for people to work under me, to bring up under me. And then now it's gone all the way to where I'm hiring teams for projects and building teams. Right now, I think I have uh, 16 active safety professionals. I've been as high as 50. So it's, uh, you know, small and large teams of uh, 10 to teams of two. Right. Yeah, that's a lot of variety and a lot of experience. Right. You've talked before about the importance of soft skills in hiring for safety management. What skills specifically do you look for, and why do you think that they're important for a safety role? Great question. First off, safety is all about people. So the soft skill side is how do you carry yourself, even just in the interview? Are you looking at me or are you kind of looking elsewhere? You know, if I'm looking or having a conversation with someone that's right out of school, I don't expect this deep safety background. They're in school. What I do want, though, is how do they converse with me? And then what are their ideals going forward? Is it about, you know, trying to help people or is it really about more the technical side that interests you? Because that's two different worlds. And then you have the flip side when you're looking for experienced help. Now you hope that they've honed their professional skills and the personal skills and you can get more into the technical side. So it is two different dynamics, but both still center around how you interact with people. And if you're interviewing someone who is newer and maybe is fitting more on the technical side, do you think there's a role for them? It's just a different role? Or do you think that you really need someone, when you're talking about their ideals, you really need someone 
who's more on the quote unquote human side? Well, I'm going to, so the philosophy that I was always taught that I follow is you hire for attitude, train for skill. Someone that's brand new, I can teach the safety side too, right? What's harder to teach is that interactive side. Mm -hmm. Are you looking at relationship building and seeing that as the focus of your role? Right? Are you down having conversations with people? Because in the safety world, especially, you pretty much hear everything. I mean, the whole part of being, you know, the counselor, the therapist, the safety professional, all combined, that's all true. And, and there's no way to get around that because when people, when you earn that trust, people open up to you. So you have to have the responsibility to care for that as well. And you need to make sure that those mesh in the right fashion. And they can be taught too. You know, you can be encouraged to work on certain aspects of that, but to really succeed at the high level, that has to always be your lead. And then the technical side will come with it. So on the notion of, of teaching, so these are things that they don't teach in school. And you answered this a little bit, but do you think that safety training programs should teach this stuff? Do you think they can? Like there's probably a limit. I don't know. It's it's sort of a nature-nurture debate, isn't it? But It is, but I do think they can because, you know, if I'm able to teach it, there's certainly, it's, it, you can cover it in class. Now, is it a big part of the class? Maybe not curriculum size-wise, but as we look at, you know, we're teaching them about OSHA regulations or MSHA regulations, whatever that is, that's very black and white, cut and dry. Here's the regulation, right? But how you Explain that regulation to someone else is the big difference. And because there are so many different personalities, I'm sure the school setting is very hard to focus on. You have to do it this way because that's not, you can do it a million different ways. It's more about recognizing when you're effective. And I do think that can be talked about in school. When are you effective? Well, here are the signs that you're being effective. And you definitely can learn just on the one on one in conversations with other students on how to interact. You know, those are things that can be set up and taught. It's probably time consuming. So, you know, in a curriculum that is time-based, it may not be the easiest thing to do. But if we focused more on that interaction side and understanding it, I think we'd have solid safety professionals coming out of school fairly quickly. You know, they would move up the ranks or move up in skill level fairly quickly because they recognize first things first, what's important. Okay, so in the soft skills, you've mentioned building trust. What else? Looking in the eye, that's kind of confidence? Well, confidence, certainly. One of the first things I do teach is that when you're a brand new safety professional and you go out with a construction crew, and it doesn't really matter what kind of construction, you are portrayed as a professional. And the crew will accept that you're a professional until they find out otherwise. So that very first safety meeting and you're asked for input, and you're brand new, and you say, well, I don't have anything. Okay, that's a tip-off that you don't know anything. But if you just say, let's look out for each other, let's be safe, have a great day, take care of each other, whatever that is, and you show that confidence right off the bat, they'll believe you. And that starts that relationship, because that's the first time they've heard you speak. So I think that as you look at, uh, you carry that area of confidence in with you, well, understanding what you're doing is what helps build that confidence, right? You know, it's not just having the knowledge behind you. It's it's putting the knowledge to use. Right. And then there's a counterbalance with humility sometimes. 
right? With new. Well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause now you're also talking to somebody, you're brand new and you're talking to somebody who might have 30 years in the business. They're going to tell you 30 different ways to do the job you want them to do safely. And they're going to tell you 30 different ways to not do the job you want them to do safely. And you don't even know what the job is. Yeah. So it's understanding how you reach them and recognizing their expertise for what it is, you know, and work on that as well. Build that, ex- you know, trust them for what they know and what they are showing you as a new safety professional. Even if you're 15 years in the business, if you if you're working around something you haven't been around, the best way to learn that is ask them, well, how do you do this? Right. That's the humility side of being willing to say, I don't know what this is you know, publicly. Yeah. I, someone mentioned the spirit of humble inquiry. And I think that's a phrase coined from someone's book. I'm afraid I don't remember, but, uh, <laughs> but it, it's the idea of, yeah, I don't know everything. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, my, the way I was quoted with is there's no shell answer man for safety because we have this world of experience out there. I mean, literally there are all kinds of forums that you can network with people to find information out. But even still, I've been doing this over 30 years. I still learn things. I mean, it's not like you never top out. You're always going to, and I don't think any solid long-time professional would disagree with that. There's always the ability to learn something new. Well, if you can learn something new as a 30-year professional, you know, getting your brand new one-year person to understand that and recognize that this is your whole career I think that's a big tip off to where they can go and that they don't have to have all the answers. They just have to have the ability to find the answers. Right. So in that case, resourcefulness, but it more fundamentally curiosity. I think that's part of it. I mean, you have to have the desire to do a good job, right? You want to be professional. So if this is just a job for you, that's one level. But if you really are passionate about what you do, which is that's the goal in life, right? To find your passion. Then it's not even a job anymore. This is just who you are. And as you continue to work on yourself and build yourself, all of that grows. And then pretty soon you're the person passing that on to the person you've brought in. So you build, you know, this legacy behind you and you determine what the legacy is. Is it a good legacy or is it not? Yeah. You build it whether you plan to or not, you will leave some kind of legacy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So let's go to an interview. You've just met a candidate, you know, they've gone through HR screening, that sort of thing. What signs, you've mentioned looking you in the eye, but what kind of like, it's hard to evaluate this stuff. Because if you just say, hey, are you curious? Are you resourceful? In an interview, everyone will say yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well, I think you, you know, goal, talking about goals is good because if you, if you're a brand new college graduate, what are your goals? Well, first and foremost, your goal is to get a job, right? That's a solid goal. But if that's where they end, that's exactly what you'll get as a job and nothing more. But if you say, well, I'm, I want to continue this side of my education. I'm interested in this aspect of construction. I want to get to where I'm managing people at some day. I want to get to where you are, Mike. You know, those are all goals that uh, you can respond with and say, okay, those are great. Let's figure out how we can do that and and how to get there. I know, you know, a standard interview question is what are your five and your 10-year goals? I'm actually okay if someone says, I'm not sure what my 10-year goal is because they're just starting. Yeah. 
right? But I think you should start to zero in on a five-year goal. You know, when you when you've gone to school and you've done all of that homework to get to where you are now, hopefully you know what you want to do with it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, okay, that's kind of a sign as well. But you don't have, again, you don't have to have all the answers. You're just stepping your toe into the water, right? So there's 50 different kinds of construction out there that you may be interested in. So maybe you're more on the mining side, or maybe you're really kind of a crane fanatic, or, you know, maybe you want to do offshore work. I mean, a lot of different areas. And sometimes the only way to know is to be around that type of work. Mm-hmm. So as the person hiring, I also have to be flexible to recognize two years after we've hired him, are they on the track that they want to be on? So my people have to give me their goals every year. What's your, and I review them with them. What are your goals this year? Right. What can I do to help your goal? And then when we come back around, well, how did you do? But it's still upon you to take care of whatever it is you've determined as your goal. Mm-hmm. My role is just to ask you, well, what is it? And what can I do to help you? And then I'm kind of the check and balance, right? You really kind of let this go. Is that really what your goal is? Or do you need to rethink that? Or do you need to refocus on getting it done? Because we all get busy. You know, life is certainly throws a lot at us. And it may be that you have a really solid goal that you haven't been able to start for whatever reason. We can sit back as the managers and the directors and say, well, you could have done this or you could have done that. Or we can step in and say, well, let's rethink this and what's a better way to look at it. Is this still the goal that you want? And if so, let's break it down into smaller pieces. How can we get you started? Well, this year, let's just work on this aspect of it. You know, communication, whatever that is, and work through those things. But if we're in an interview and, you know, and it's really not unheard of or not, it's not unusual for someone to say, I'm not really sure what my goals are yet. Okay, that's not a terrible answer because you're being honest. So that's good. You're not just throwing something out there. But it does make us look a little deeper because we want to know more about you. And a really good way to find that out, you have to broaden your set of questions then. So typically, those turn into really good interviews because you're getting to know that person a lot more than just a baseline interview. You're actually seeing who they are. And that gives you a much better chance to bring someone into the field and make them more successful because they know where they want to go or they know kind of the direction they just may not know what it means or how to how what it looks like when you get there yeah yeah so when you say broaden your questions you mean like move more into let's say they say they're a crane fanatic move more into the why that sort of thing or well not so much the why maybe it's okay well what experience do you have around that but you well the why would be you know why do you like cranes what is it that fascinates you about them Right. And they could say, well, just what a crane does is unbelievable that we're able to list such large amounts of weight with a small machine. Okay. I mean, that's a really good base, but how many different kinds of cranes are there? Right. So mm-hmm. what if you have a crane on a barge? What does that look like? You know, when you, and I can start asking questions, well, what cranes have you been around? And they'll say, typical, well, I, ha- I was working around this lattice boom crane, and then I kind of got started into hydraulic style cranes and rubber tire cranes. And it's like, okay, that's a really good base to work from. Right. So now start working on studying cranes, right? What are the limitations? All cranes have a weak point. Do you have you identified that? 
you know, so that you know when you're talking about cranes and working on assisting others, you are coming from, you have to have a background of knowledge now to be that expert in, expert in that style or in that field. Okay, so then you're through that discussion, you're learning more about them. Right. You're learning about what they actually know. And then if they're successful, you're learning about how you can guide them or mentor them because you understand their goals a bit better. Yeah, and you want, I mean, that helped, in turn helps you understand them. Mm-hmm. And I have no problem saying, look, I want to get you to the point where I'm coming to you for questions and you can explain it to me. And if you can reach that goal, I mean, you've created a really great safety professional who has a, an excellent expertise in one area. And typically that also means they're pretty well-rounded on a lot of other stuff as well. Hmm. Okay. So let's step back a little bit and talk about the recruiting process. Do you have any kind of recommendations or ways that you use to narrow the candidates so that by the time you get to interviews, you're interviewing a decent pool of candidates? We do. We actually have a questionnaire that they fill out. So first off, you know, career fairs, job fairs, you can meet a lot of people, but you have very short conversations. Yeah. If you have the ability to go in and, and present to a class where you can spend an hour now you're in front of 20, 30, you know, wannabe professionals. Uh, you can build rapport just within that hour. And as you see feedback from them, you can start to identify people who seem that they're interested and, you know, people who are kind of far off, maybe something like that. So that's a really good leg up. We have a question, although it's kind of like some non-traditional questions, you know, and I'll give you one is, have, have you done anything that a previous boss, a previous boss felt was a really good solution to a problem? Hmm. And they look back and say, well, my experience before school is working at a fast food restaurant. Okay. But in that time, did you do something when your boss said, wow, that's a great idea? Because if they can express that type of thing, and even if they have to think it, it may be small. It's then, you know, that's someone who recognizes, first off, what the question really means. Mm-hmm. And they can go back and say, actually, yeah, I am that kind of person who was able to do that. And here's what it was, right? It's really hard to ask a brand new college graduate, well, how do you handle a 30-year grumpy, <laughs> you know, superintendent? I don't know. I've never been around one, right? Yeah. But I can ask a 15-year person that pretty easily. So different dynamics even though they're both going to end up working with that person. So in school, to kind of work through that, I think you have to get a little creative sometimes. You have to think a little differently because you're trying to see if they can think out of the box, think differently. So anything you can do to help with that, all remember in a compressed amount of time, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that really helps you kind of weed through the professionals you're looking for and others that maybe are not really are better suited for something else. What about people who maybe have had, uh, you know, they're in their 30s or 40s, so they've had a career, but they're transitioning into safety. Does that change your expectations or your questions or anything? You know, it really does. One thing that I hear a lot is you've had an equipment operator that's been doing it 10 years. And they say, well, I really like what you guys do. I want to become a safety professional. How do I do that? And I will sell them, well, the first thing you can do is work on your education. Take the OSHA 30 and let's start there. 
And then you have to stop and see what they do, because if they don't take the time to take the OSHA 30, then they're not really serious about asking you that question. But if they do, then you know, okay, here, this person's actually serious about it. So uh, what can I do to help that transition? We actually have a couple of great safety professionals who were former superintendents. Hmm. And so they understand the work really, really well. And they understand the safety of it really well. What's new to them is the paperwork side of safety, the administrative side. You know, well, I can teach that, right? I mean, that's easy. But when they already know that they can have really good conversations and they understand the work and actually they can, while they're teaching in operator safety, they can actually teach them about the machine they're operating. Boy, that's a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine that kind of, that kind of nurturing, for lack of a better term, is also makes a lot of economic sense too for the company, right? Because you're not bringing in someone who's completely new. You're bringing in someone who's familiar with, in this case, with company culture, with the way things work. Yeah, they're very well established. You know, they're highly thought of already. So they already have the relationship side built, but they do have to separate themselves and remember, okay, now your focus is this, but you don't want them to lose what they just came from either. Mm-hmm. So it's a really good mix. Well, good to know for uh, people who are considering safety. You've mentioned before that sometimes you look outside of safety programs for candidates. Where else might you look and why would you take that approach? So I think for clarity's sake, we don't recruit outside, but you will have candidates that come in. Oh. Psychology candidates are really good because it's about people. And then they develop an interest in safety. In fact, I have two right now that uh, don't have safety degrees. They have psychology degrees, but they found they really liked being around this certain aspect of it. So kind of take that and build from it. But, you know, if you have a business degree, you know, great. You know, you understand the number side of things and all that really well. That's a great attribute to have. Now, can you go explain it? (laughs) Because you have to build that people relationship side. And if you can, you can be very effective. But no matter where you come from, you have to have that passion of this is, you know, that person's safety is really important to me. I want to make sure I can help that person understand how they can protect themselves. Because in the end, you're sitting over here. They're the ones that are not doing. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any red flags that you notice, like either before or during? hopefully notice before or during the interview process and not after they've been hired, but that indicate that someone really isn't cut out for safety? Uh, that's a challenging question because, you know, that's I'm just one opinion, right? But Yeah, of course. If you're answering questions with one-word answers, that's not a really good sign of good communication. So I would have to think twice about something like that. Uh, if you can't maintain your focus, then uh, that's pretty challenging. And there are, you know, you can observe that in an interview, even, you know, if it's the something shiny syndrome happening in the interview, then that's just who they are and, and probably not best suited for what I'm looking for. Hmm. Doesn't mean they can't be successful, though, either. Then they just have to find the right niche. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, let's turn the tables now. An inexperienced new safety professional, if they're going out and doing interviews, what signs should they look for? when they're doing their research, that this is a good company, this is going to be a good fit, 
Well, I, that's another great question. I think when you're on the other side of the table, it's the same thing. Am I paying attention to you? Right. Or am I looking at my phone? Yeah. Right. Or, you know, hang on just a second. I need to do this. No, if I'm there to interview you, I should devote that time to you. Right. And if you're being told, well, I'm not really sure about that. Well, if I'm the employer, I ought to be sure about it or at least be comfortable enough to talk through something that they're asking. And I don't even mean on the benefit side. That's maybe that's more HR, whatever, cut and dry. But Mike, when you say travel, what does travel really mean? And if my mm-hmm. answer is, well, you know, you might work in different locations. You know, it just kind of depends about what we have. That's really not a good answer for what they're asking. Be specific yeah. so that they really know what they're getting into. Do you mean in the state or do you mean globally? I mean, that's <laughs> there's a big difference to your lifestyle, right? If you've got absolutely. a young family or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. So you have to be willing to be thorough in the answer. And if they're not getting that, then, you know, I'm a reflection of Barnard Construction. That's I have nothing else I can project but that. So if you're not comfortable with me, then odds are you're not going to be comfortable with Barnard. And, mm-hmm. you know, is that a given? No, not really, because I could just be the one. I could have had a bad day, whatever that is. But still, 90% plus, that's the indicator of who I work for is what I project. Yeah, I think everyone gets a pretty good sense when they sit down and have a conversation in an interview. If they, even through interview jitters, if they're like, oh, I don't like this person's vibe, whatever you want to call it. Or, yeah, I feel really comfortable with this person. It's an intuitive level of, do I think I can build a relationship here? Right. And by the same token, it's not unusual for companies to send people that back to that same school that you've had for one or two years. So really not a lot of experience, but they can tell you right out, are they working for a good company or not? So if that's who you're sending back to recruit, because everybody's career fairs are typically in the same time frame, and you just can't cover them all, right? So right. I have someone who's had a great, beginning two years. Hey, are you interested in going back to your school and talking about our program and looking for like-minded people? You know, you're giving them a lot of trust right there. And if they are the people that you think they are, it should be a win-win because they can, now they're, they're close in age too still. So they can relate to what they just, what those people are going through. They just went through it. Well, how did they treat you? Well, they taught me this way, or they treated me this way right? How does that work? Are they telling the story that you want them to tell? Because they're going to do it whether you coach them or not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So when you're hiring for some positions, you necessarily need someone who's got, you know, 15 years experience in maybe a particular area. And for some positions, they don't need experience. It can be a new grad. When it doesn't matter which, do you have a preference? Like if you had one candidate who has, you know, who, who's been in safety for a long time. Yeah. Does that give them the edge or does that actually work a little bit against them? I wouldn't say that it works against them. I think it's still going to come down to what you, you know, what the company is looking for. If we have a 25 year person, awesome experience, but are they aligned culturally? Right. You know, or are they, no, I just, it's, black. This is the line. Nobody's going to cross that line. Okay. There are companies who work that way and maybe you are successful in that, but they have a great advantage because you don't have to teach them safety. They already know that. It's more about how are they applying it? 
a new graduate's awesome because you get to mold both sides. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at long-term people, you know, well, we can start at zero with this person. And in two years, I've got built somebody that's very capable. They're just young and in, or they're just inexperienced. So it's two different dynamics. I think both can work in most situations. There's no question though when you get in when you need the technical side, you have to search for the technical side. Mm-hmm. For someone who's new, so you work in a high risk industry, and there are lots of high risk industries where the likelihood of a severe injury or a fatality is high. Is there anything you can do to prepare a new safety professional? for the psychological effects that they might face in a bad situation? Or is it just one of those things that you, I mean, you obviously you hope they're never in that position, but is there a way to prepare them or no? Oh, no, I, I think you can prepare them. First off, as you're working through and, and hopefully training doesn't stop on day one, once you've hired them, right? Right. You're yeah. bringing them in. But part of that training as they move up is, okay, we're going to let you start working with an, with a minor injury, right? And, and they kind of go through that process. They go to the doctor with them, whatever is required. And as they gain experience, I mean, then they're allowed to work a little more serious injuries. And you are able to have conversations with them. Hey, if, if you had to call that person's spouse, how would you handle that? And they start asking those kind of questions and, and offer those discussions up. Because things do happen, unfortunately. You know, it just if you had a coworker who had a very unfortunate accident off work and they're not going to be there anymore, you know, that's very real and nobody knows really what happened. They just all of a sudden that person is gone. You know, you have to help your safety professors understand the possibility of that, but also you need to handle it the right way as well. So, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions about it and, you know, lean on your experienced people around you to work through that because everybody's devastated, not just a small group. I mean, it, that, that has impact project wide. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I think it's learned. I think it's not, you know, that's not a ride along you can do where you're going to someone's home to say, Hey, I'm sorry, but yeah, your spouse isn't coming back anymore. But at some point in their career, they do need to be prepared to handle it if it does happen. And the only way to do that is to have that conversation with them. This is how I handle it. This is what I do. If you're lucky, you'll never be in that position, but you should know just in case, because it may be nothing work-related, but you still have lost a team member and it has the exact same impact. Hmm. Yeah, I would imagine that it would be tempting for new safety professionals to think, well, if I do my job right, I won't have to deal with this. but we're not, you know, omnipotent beings. You can't, things happen even if you've done everything right. Correct. So. I mean, there are things that are out of your control. Yeah. You know, and that's just the way it is. And that's probably for some people a learning curve too, just to learn to accept that uh, sometimes things happen. Yeah. I mean, the reality is people make bad decisions every day. And if, and if one of those bad decisions impacts you, even though you had nothing you know, a car accident is a great example. Yeah. You're just driving along and someone loses control of their vehicle and strikes you. You've done nothing wrong, but you're in the middle of it. Yeah. You know, and if it's severe, you know, how do you prepare for that? Well, you have the right vehicle. You have all these safety equipment on there, but, you know, physics is physics. 
right? When you get into speed and those type things, it just is what it is. So, you know, you're a one-year safe professional and, and you have to deal with that on your project. I mean, that's a real thing. If you're new and, you, and you're inexperienced in that, definitely watch the senior people and how they work through that. Because it's, it, that again, that affects relationships 100%. So do they blow it off or do they say, let's talk about this. And if you need to talk about it, I'm here for you to talk about it. Or we're going to get you the right person to talk to. Just tell me and we'll help you. Yeah, I was going to say, and, and conversely, the seasoned professionals maybe need to remind themselves too that, oh, this is our new hire's first time with this, you know, like I've I've dealt with this before and, uh, you know, to reach out and make sure that they understand that this is a culture of talking about it and helping each other through it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you now hire the same way that you used to when you first started hiring? In other words, are there any big lessons you've learned over the years or maybe learned the hard way? Wow, good question. I'm sure there are, right? I mean, I don't think my philosophy on hiring has changed. Probably, I've probably gotten better at asking better questions because, mm -hmm. you know, over time you see what, what people respond to when people don't respond to. So I want to ask questions that people respond to. And that's certainly learned. Sometimes you learn what not to say, maybe. I have a an active sense of humor, so I have to be careful with that. <laughs> then I'm not too much of a smart butt. <laughs> so, uh, because that's not, you know, when's it appropriate when it's not. So you have to be cognizant of that. So I think my philosophy though is really the same in looking for people that I think will adjust to what, you know, I'm trying to look for and trying to do. So, and that, for me, that really hasn't changed over time. Okay. So let's focus more on the, the team building part of it, as opposed to individual hiring. Let's say that you've got the right people and you're you're starting from scratch. What is your next step towards building an effective team? So we have to learn to talk to each other. So I am actually a big believer in strength finders. All of my people take the strength finders test and find out their top five traits. I encourage them to find where they rank on all 34. But if someone's number one strength is competitiveness, then that's you can mold things in that fashion, then they pick it up right away. So if I have a team and I have a 10-year manager with two-year person and a one-year person, okay, well, under, find out how those two think. And that's a really good way to give you an insight as to how they're, they're wired. So if you know someone's adaptability is a great first trait because they can handle a lot of things going on at the same time. But when you get into people that are learners or uh, they're high on focus, right? Those are people who really dig in and they try and get to the bottom of a subject and they focus on that subject. So if you need to bring them out of that, well, you have to understand how to talk to them to be able to get them to see there's a bigger picture than what they're, you know, I don't want to say they're fixated on it, but that's, it's kind of that route. Yeah. So someone's analytical, that means they're numbers driven, right? Project mm -hmm. engineers, project managers, and typical high and analytical. Well, some safety professionals are too. So you get the numbers side of thing. Well, use that to your advantage. What do you have on a on a project that's really numbers oriented that you could put that to your person who's big in, on analytics into? And they really dig into that because it fits their mindset. 
But if you, if even if you don't use that, you have to understand how they function to be able to help them as well. So that's the biggest thing to learn as a manager. It's still all about people, right? As you were taught and you were brought in, you now have to pass that on and you're, you're passing the baton, so to speak. Well, to be able to do that effectively, you have to understand what you were taught and, but why you were taught it mm-hmm. so that you then can be the teacher. And everybody teaches their own way. Everybody, you know, has their own things that they, their own spin they put on things, right? Okay. Well, what's effective for you may not be effective for me, but at least, you know, in 30 years, I can tend to recognize those things a little better than the 10 year person. So as I oversee and, and kind of give that oversight, you know, my conversations with the manager, are, well, when you talk to him, what did you talk about? You know, I mean, no, I really want to hear all of what you talked about. And, and then you can kind of give them, yeah, see, that would really be something that would be a flag for me to say, oh, that person likes to focus on that. I can help them with that. But the only way to know that, though, is to have the conversations. Right. Yeah, I think role fit is a really, has been mentioned before, is a really important component of people's happiness at work, right? Well, and there there have been people in my 30 years where I've said, this is probably not a good fit for you. You should rethink this. And they go away to some other employment and, you know, they may still be in safety. It could be that they just didn't connect with me. Right. And they end up, they take what they, the experience they had with me and they, it flips a switch and they take off somewhere else. I'm very okay with that because they're in the industry doing good. But there are some people that it's like, mm, this is probably not your deal and, and you should find something that you're happy with because if you're having that conversation, the reality is they already know it. Yeah. You're just helping them, you know, work through it because sometimes they don't know what to do or what to say because they're young and inexperienced. Well, so that was kind of my next question is, we talked about building a team from scratch. Let's say that you inherit a team and maybe you've inherited people in that team that you think aren't a great fit. Now, yes, letting them go is always an option. Are there other tactics you might use to sort of help bolster the team? Uh, I think so. So first and foremost, in that opening conversation is, especially when you're given someone and everybody is like, yeah, this we think this is the person you to focus on. Well, just ask him, where are you? I mean, what's going on? You've been here a few years. What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? Who do you like working around? And you're just trying to get to know them and open up. But typically, they will tell you things that are indicators. So as you have more of those conversations, you kind of have that knowledge building. But the other side of it is you have to get to the people that you know, their peers around them and see if, is there an actual problem here? Is it a personality thing? Is it just a lack of drive maybe, you know, and all have to be handled differently. But I can tell you, I have a, a professional that he's not with us anymore. He uh, is down with his mom and his wife and stuff. And he has a solid career, but he openly said that first year he hated me mm. because I just am kind of that matter of fact person. but. After having conversations and then the more time he spent around me and he got to see, okay, well, I see where Mike's going now. You know, if I can mold that a little bit and and open them up to, well, here's why I do this or here's what I'm looking for. 
and they start to comprehend it, you know, that's a win for me, even if he doesn't stay with me. But he's still a great safety professional, still very active, still loves the knowledge side of it, right? So typically talk to him once a year, you know, on his birthday. Hey, what's going on? And I think he appreciates that too, because now we can, you know, we can share and laugh about the things that maybe we couldn't when mm. that first year was going on, you know, but uh, not everybody has that same relationship as well. And sometimes you never hear from someone again and, you know, that's okay too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it helps for everyone to at least understand the reasoning behind somebody else's actions. If you're like, I don't know why this person acts this way. If you at least understand their motivations, even if you don't think that they're choosing the right way to go about it, right? then it should lead to some mutual respect. Anyway, that's the hope. It should. And I think that's always going to be the goal, even when you part ways. Yeah. Do you have respect for each other? Mm-hmm. And if you do, then then I think parting ways is okay. Yeah. So uh, I look at at the end of my career, I'm going to have, you know, 20, 25 safety professionals that I know I've had a hand in becoming outstanding safety professionals. For me, that's a pretty damn good legacy. And there are other people who say, yeah, I didn't like working with that guy, but I did learn something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's a win. Yeah. How do intergenerational differences affect team dynamics? <laughs> so, you know, what's, what's funny about that is that social media is a great place to see. Back in my day, these are the things that we did. There's a whole lot about Gen X right now. Yep. <laughs> we drank from the garden hose, all <laughs> yes. these things, right? And whatever the generation is now, Generation Z, or I don't know what the number I can't. Are. They've run out of letters, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, they're like, well, why would you do that? I have friends that have young teens, right? 13, 14. And we asked them, well, what's a dial tone sound like? They're like, what's a dial tone, right? <laughs> so now you're going to have that person have a conversation with somebody who has has email and they understand the basics, but that's it, right? And my generation, where some people get it, but you know, I can't go real deep into programming or anything like that. And for them, it's back of the hand, right? I mean, that's just that's what they that's they just that's how they grew up. Yeah. Digital natives. <laughs> I think what's great about that dynamic is that you can learn from both sides, right? You can see how easy it is for them. And I think it's very okay to help them or to ask them for help. Hey, you're a whiz at this. I don't get it. Walk me through this. And they're happy to do it because that's them being able to give back to someone who's, you know, more than likely considerably older. Right. And then it's the same thing is do they recognize that I think the new generation is very confident. And I think you can use that to your advantage, you know, bring that in, just guide them to where that confidence is. But you know, I was pretty shy when I started trying to learn all this and stuff. And, you know, now obviously not, but I don't see that as much. And so hmm. what a great attribute to say, hey, uh, you're I'm going to put you with a 15-year person, right? And they got all this good knowledge, but you have this really good energy that I think will help that person. Will you work with them? And they're like, yeah, that sounds like a good challenge, you know? So, again, that's a win-win. Everybody recognizes there's a difference. And we talk about it too much to say there's not. It's are we willing to say that's a good change? 
you know, the things that you grew up doing, we had no concept of. The same way you don't understand how we were able to get done what we got done without the tools that we have today. And if you can get them to intermix, definitely a positive. But it's a challenge, too, because there's two different mindsets. I was going to say, I think that that transparency, what you just said, you know, I'm putting you together with this knowledge person because you've you've got this other strength. Being transparent about, this is why I'm putting you in a team. This is your strength. This is the other person's strength. It's probably a really good tactic because you're turning those differences into counterpoints, into personality traits that work together or... Yeah. I mean, it is generational. So, you know, the person who's been here 15, 20, 25 years, they still started out at zero sometime. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you have that person who's at, is at zero now, day one or day 10 or day 50, whatever, if that person recognizes the value of what they can learn from that other generation, that's a huge positive. And we talk about this generation, the new generation is so different from our generation, not really. They just have different toys. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, the the mindset is really not that much different. When I was young, I wanted to know I was brash. You know, I did have confidence, but I also knew I didn't know much. You know, they're no different now, but their tools are so much better. So let's take advantage of that. Use the tool that you know inside and out that I, I mean, I need the ONOFF switch. Once I figure out that, I can start. Well, you know, they don't even think about turning things on and off. They're already deep into the side of it. So, you know, I'm going to use that to my advantage too. And they should use my experience to their advantage. Well, Mike, you've got so much around us. I mean, how does this really work? All right. Well, let's talk about it. Right now, if I could get to that knowledge and bring it in with your tools, you could have a phenomenal career. You just got to put in the time. Hmm. What about networking? This is for new safety professionals, networking and conferences. What role do they play? How important do you think they are? Do you have any advice for how to do it? Or what are your thoughts on that? I've seen all levels of people at conferences. Personally, I think, especially your first five years, learn your trade for the company you work for. That should be your focus. But as you start to gain that, then I think the first area is is start getting involved with associations relative to whatever field you're in, right? So whether it's the Associated General Contractors or the National Stone Organization or the American Road Builders Organization, whatever that is, typically there is a chapter in your state that you can be involved with. And and when you hit that five-year mark, you actually can understand what's being discussed because their goal is for you to go back to your company and hopefully bring your company into them, if you will, or whatever those tools are available to you. But I think that is a great way to network with other safety professionals because if you're a five-year person and you're sitting in, let's just say, an AGC meeting, more than likely there's a 30-year person sitting across the table from you that has this wealth of knowledge that you just met. So mm-hmm. great way to, as you start to see them on a monthly basis or whatever that is, and you start to get to know them, you know, that's a great resource for you to be able to pick their brain. 
And it's kind of the same thing. They can watch you as you're up and coming and, and they see the program. If they see how effective you are in your program, they will ask questions to help better their program. So you have this really good cross mix of people. You know, I have a network of people that I look at as experts that I can reach out to and say, hey, I got a different one here. How, you know, have you been around this? What do you think about it? Well, the only way I have that now is because 20 years ago, I was doing exactly that is meeting people, getting to know them, becoming friends with them, you know, being able to use them as a resource. And I'm a big believer that you have to, it's the same thing. You have to get to know your regulators too, because they have a very different role and they don't like, you know, they're not, uh, their mindset isn't I'm here to make friends or anything, but you have to learn how those people think. So if you can see them in an industry setting where they come in to be guest speakers or whatever, and you kind of get to know them, and then when you see them out doing their job, at least you have the ability to say, hey, I met you at so-and-so. And it doesn't change how they're going to inspect or anything like that, but at least you can now talk to them. Yeah, it's that mutual respect. Exactly. And that's where to do that is to learn all that and, and you know, learning about different companies. And there's a lot of very effective, you know, I don't have the, <laughs> I don't have the patent on what's an effective safety program. There are literally millions of them, right? And we all try things that work in our own cultures, but we all share a lot as well and take advantage of that, you know, go to those things, network really strongly, just like recruiting, right? Well, you should be getting to know the dean, you know, or whoever's putting, whoever's in charge of the students that you're looking for. Get to know them because when they get to know you and they and you can call them and say, hey, we've just landed a big job and we're looking for this. Do you know it? Do you have any leads? You know, they can say, okay, I got a kid that I think would work great for Mike. I'm going to set them up. In fact, the two people, I have two people that have been with me for a long time. That's exactly how I found them. I called the dean and said, we just had this big job. Do you know anybody that uh, is looking for a move? And he says, actually, as a matter of fact, they were in the oil and gas. Oil and gas was shrinking at the time. Let me talk to. Let me have you talk to these two guys, and they've been with me ever since. They've been a you know a tremendous find. Hmm. So that all starts with the relationships, though. So you have to network. You have to have those relationships to be able to do that. When you get a call out of the blue, hey, you don't know me, but I'm looking for someone to do this. You're kind of like. <laughs> Why would I even talk to you? I don't know who you are. You don't have that foundation yet. Right, exactly right. So there are a few questions I ask all my guests. And sure. the first one is, it's kind of one that you've been answering for the entire interview, but I'm going to ask it <laughs> in case there's something else that you want to add, Sure. which is where would you focus soft skill training for tomorrow's safety professionals? So is there anything that we haven't talked about that you might want to add? You know, the thing that... that it's like the secret that nobody wants to let out. Do you care about your people mm -hmm. right now? Okay. I'm senior <laughs> quite a bit and you get the knock is, well, that's, you know, that's your daddy there, you know, or you treat him like a son or whatever. I don't know that I'd go that far, but I really have a strong relationship with that person because not only do I care about what they're doing for me, I care about them as a person. So when you're teaching those skills, you have to show them those skills as well. It's really hard to teach somebody, hey, you need to care about people and that person you have no desire to be around. How is that even possible, right? So 
I think we just have to keep in mind that don't forget we're exposing ourselves when we're teaching all of these soft skills, have good soft skills to teach. Mm, Good point. If you could go back in time to the beginning of your safety career, is there any one piece of advice that you might give yourself? Ooh, uh, wow. This is my toughest question for, (laughs) I think, every guest. (laughs) I think really what's taken a long time to learn is you can control what you can control. And the things that were really out of your control, you have to really, you can't take that personal because you have to recognize that was really out of my control. But we tend to, you know, we have ownership. And when you have ownership and things don't go the way that you want, that doesn't mean you give up the ownership, right? So maybe it's okay to say, ah, I really couldn't affect that. And it didn't go the way I would have liked to have seen it go, but I did learn from it. So let's just take that and move on. Yeah. Yeah. Good attitude. How can our listeners learn more about any of the topics in our discussion today? Like, are there any books or websites that you think, or even groups that you think are useful or have been useful to you in learning these these kind of skills? I would say that, and how we were introduced was through LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I think that is a really good resource. And there are a lot of outstanding people on there that when you get kind of deeper into who they are and what they're teaching, a superb resource in my thing. There are certain authors, I think, and I could list a whole bunch of them, but first off, you have to be able to read something that you enjoy, not just to learn from. Because even if you're trying to learn from it, you don't enjoy the writing, it's really difficult, mm. right? I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell. Okay? His books, I think, are phenomenal. They have nothing to do with safety. Right. And yet they have everything to do with safety. If you really take those lessons that he professes and and internalize what they're talking about, you know, understanding the tipping point of things and what that means. Well, that comes through reading that book and getting there, you know, going to who moved my cheese, right? Well, what's the point of that book? Right. So I think you have to look at things that you enjoy. You know, Simon Selleck right now is kind of one of the forefront people of you know, leaders eat last. Well, especially from a military background, that's a really easy concept to grasp. But if you don't have that background, that's a really important lesson is, is are you putting your subordinates first? Really? Because that's what it comes down to, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's a great learning tool. I think you have to find your niche of what you like and what you enjoy. But I think you, you know, it's, it's okay to read for just enjoyment as well. Everything you read doesn't have to be trying to find a life lesson. Maybe just read something that you like reading. Yeah. Okay. But it keeps your mind active, right? And even a fiction book will typically have something in there where you could say, man, that is so right. Mm-hmm. And it does apply. So if I was going to say an overall thing is there is a good part to being curious, you know, do it for enjoyment. We all want to better ourselves. Okay. How we do it may be different, but work on it. It's okay to work on it. And then actually, right up to the end, we ought to be working on it. <laughs> if I'm 85, you know, I'm going to be, I'll be asking my wife, how come I can't do this anymore? And she'll be like, because you're 85, you idiot. So, <laughs> but I'm, I want to try though, right? So that's the goal that I want to get to where I'm still just as curious. I still want to keep learning. So if you can, if you can build that into somebody to have that same mindset, I think that's phenomenal. And there's so many resources now to do it from. Where can our listeners find you on the web? 
Well, you can always look up Barnard Construction. I'm right there under the people side, and that's uh, barnard-inc.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, you know, through some social media platforms. So I watch TikTok, but I don't film any. But <laughs> <laughs> but the, really the best way is just go to the company website, and then you, my email's right in there. and uh, Or you can find me on LinkedIn, and don't be afraid to say hi. Great. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in. And thanks so much for lending us your perspective, Michael. Well, this has been great, Mary. Thanks so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. My thanks to the Safety Labs by Slice team for all the work you do to make this a wonderful team to be part of. Bye for now. Safety Labs is created by Slice, the only safety knife on the market with a finger-friendly blade. Find us at sliceproducts.com. Until next time, stay safe.